Welcome to the County Pulse. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia county governments. I'm Dean Lynch, VACO Executive Director and your host for this episode. Our show today is sponsored by VACORP, the premier group self-insurance pool providing comprehensive coverage and risk management services to Virginia public entities for over a quarter of a century. We've got you covered. Today, we are pleased to welcome a special guest and a familiar face to VACO members, Senator Emmett Hanger. Senator Hanger represents the 24th District in the Senate, where he is the co-chair of the Senate Finance Committee, chair of the Senate Finance, Health and Human Resources Subcommittee, and a budget conferee. He serves on several standing committees, including the Senate Local Government Committee and many other legislative commissions. He's been a longtime friend of VACO, And our members have seen him at our annual conference, and we've worked with him on a number of issues that are very important to local government. Senator Hanger is calling in to the podcast from his district this morning. I think the senator has been busy uh, election campaigning and getting around his district. Welcome, Senator. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Dean. Good morning. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you this morning. Great. I'd like to start with looking back a few weeks to the 2019 General Assembly session. Could you talk about some of the major components of the state budget that were adopted this year? I'd, I'd be pleased to do that. Of course, you know, as co-chair of the Senate Finance Committee and, and integrally involved with directing the staff and negotiations on that, that's something I spend quite a bit of time year-round, actually, but certainly during the, during the session. And I guess to, to understand where we went with the uh, 2019 budget, you have to really look back to the 2018 budget a bit because it built on that. As, as members are aware, we, we have a, a biennial budget, which we establish in the, the even years, and then we make adjustments to that uh, in, the, in the odd years. So that was where we were at this year. It was a bigger year than normal for, for the odd year session. Uh, Primarily because, in addition to, to needed adjustments that, that we were making uh, for policy, you know, that we had developed throughout out this past year, we also had to address uh, the tax reform initiatives from the federal government. Uh, and uh, so we spent quite a bit of time with that, quite a bit of negotiation, a lot of debate. But I, I, the bottom line is I felt we came up with a, a good package uh, that will, will serve our constituents well, and it was done in, in I think, a very a fiscally responsible way. Uh, looking back again to the to the base budget, as, as you'll recall, uh, it was just almost exactly a year ago when we were, were just concluding our extended session from last year because we were we were debating uh, the, the merits or the, a way forward, really, to come to agreement with the administration, the House, and the Senate on the expansion of Medicaid. And, uh, of course, I was in the middle of that debate because I had worked for quite a number of years uh, on trying to develop a, a package, a conservative package, and doing a lot of reforms in Medicaid. And due to, to the, the good work of a lot of people during that period of time, we, we, we've implemented and had implemented at that time uh, significant reforms in the Medicaid delivery system, which were already saving uh, our, our taxpayers uh, you know, a couple hundred million dollars per year. But the real issue for me at that time was the the fact that that Congress, the current administration, um, 
which it had, had been controlled uh, by my party, had failed to deliver on the promise they had made that they were going to take the Affordable Care Act uh, and replace it with something uh, even better. And so that would have been good because I, we all recognize there were some some uh, controversial elements of the Affordable Care Act. But the uh, what ended up happening was instead of doing that, they ended up um, basically uh, taking some of the some of the uh, uh, principal uh, parts of that or components of that out, but then leaving in place uh, the uh, the tax revenues that were coming from Virginia taxpayers. So the healthcare industry, individual taxpayers, through variety of fees and taxes, have been paying to the federal government uh, several billion dollars, uh, which were intended uh, to come back to the states that had expanded uh, Medicaid and and basically uh, help with the services. The impact on, on Virginia was significant because we 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 had at that time significant strain in our healthcare delivery system, particularly in rural areas. Uh, which many of the VACO members would be well aware of, where you had fiscal stress with the hospitals and the delivery system, even some hospitals going bankrupt because of the inability uh, to access those revenues. So that was the base point. We did we did uh, expand Medicaid, and as a result of that, um, what happened, it stabilized our budget. We actually had been under watch uh, from, from the rating agencies on our finances. We, we, we really value our, our AAA bond rating, uh, but we were, we were kind of looking over our shoulder because of the fact that we had not, we didn't have much money in our reserves uh, compared to the overall state of the budget. And, and so that was something that in doing that, it was a byproduct of that. But when we, when we basically made the move and it became effective the first of January of this year to expand Medicaid, it, it, it pull, started pulling those funds down and those funds actually supplanted a lot of general fund dollars that we were having to spend on low income uh, recipients of, of services that the, you know the taxpayers have been paying for so overall that was a good thing started the base now as senator, we moved hey, into senator, um, senator can i ask a question well, real quick about that sure you know, you know yeah. uh, one of the things i think that you mentioned was that that uh, we're going to be seeing uh, you know i guess that these these dollars supplanted the state budget a little bit but in short, are we seeing taxpayers, taxpayers, and the state's going to retain more of that money that went out of Virginia uh, for years, and we're going to be retaining that back in Virginia now? And the taxpayers exactly, are going to be we're, we're those money. dollars that that were put in place um, at, with the Affordable Care legislation are are now returning to Virginia rather than uh, the, the, the endless um, bottomless pit of Washington, I guess you'd say. So yes. Uh, those those monies are coming back, and uh, that that has helped us. And, and the and the other factor, of course, that we've continued to experience a slow, steady growth in our economy, uh, and and that has helped us as well. So those those factors allowed us to be in a better situation this year. We had to address the um, the, the federal tax changes uh, so that our taxpayers in Virginia would not end up paying additional tax just because we're we're a conformity state in the past i've i've uh, fairly routinely carried the conformity bill in virginia that's one of the bills that i annually file but this year uh, a lot of people filed conformity bills because there were different ideals about how we could we could uh, make adjustments so that we wouldn't be um, taxing our, our citizens um or get they wouldn't get a tax increase as a result of federal actions and then our inaction 
so we we ended up making some adjustments uh, this year uh, 2018 because we weren't able at the late moment to put in place uh, the tax uh, uh, changes that would have prevented that we ended up um, uh, authorizing a tax refund uh, to taxpayers across the Commonwealth, which individuals who, who file their tax return this spring will will see coming at them probably in October, $110 um, for individuals, $220 for, for joint returns, return to the taxpayers, which doesn't seem like a lot, but in, in aggregate, it's, it's about $450 million that will be returning to the taxpayers this year. Then for next year, what you know, what is what has been approved, and I expect there will be some additional adjustments, is a significant increase in the uh, standard deductions, essentially doubling the standard deductions for single and, and married taxpayers, so that as the the adjusted gross income has has increased because of federal changes, then we will be sheltering more of the income from taxation in Virginia. And the truth of the matter being, we're you know we are uh, we are a wealthy state. And we are a relatively low tax state, um, and so that that's an issue that I've worked on in the past, and will continue to work on tax reform because it has big implications uh, for local governments. Um, the state um, it certainly has to pay, in my, my play, I think a, a larger role overall in in providing services, working jointly with local governments uh, to to erase some of the uh, inequities and fiscal distress that we're seeing around the Commonwealth. Uh, Senator, I think you mentioned uh, kind of looking ahead a little bit uh, into, I think, this next year. Uh, as you know, we are approaching a new biennium uh, this upcoming year. And what do you think the top priorities should be for a new biennial budget that will be considered by the General Assembly in the next session? Well, I think obviously we have to build on, on where, where we're at right now. And I, th- I think we're in a very good place right now. Uh, just following up on this current budget, the, the the initiatives and policies that we put in place, if we stay on trajectory with the with the modest growth that we've projected and the, and the modest growth in our spending, we should end up with our rainy day fund and our our um, revenue reserve, which we created a couple years ago, of uh, funds in those of about 1.3 billion dollars, which puts us in a, in a much more secure position than we found ourselves a couple of years ago. We need to continue looking, though, at um, you know our core responsibilities. Uh, we this past year, as, as an example, you know we we addressed this current year. In fact, it's, it will be going in place five percent increase uh, for uh, teacher salaries, which is a, a two-edged sword, obviously for 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 VACO and VML because we 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 put that money up, but then local governments then have to basically come up with a share. Uh, which which means relying very heavily, as you always have to do, on on the local real estate tax base as well as other fees, but primarily that that real estate tax base. So that's something I think we need to address more adequately in in a future budget. The partnership that we have, there is, and I'd have to admit, there's somewhat of a mentality in uh, Richmond that that Richmond is us, and the local governments is them. And uh, so we, I think we need to continue to work. And this is one of the things that y'all have been been certainly uh, putting out front for us that that we need to have a partnership that works rather than an us against them mentality and uh because we're all working for and providing services to the same constituents uh in the budget i think we're well it's one of the things that uh, i start i put legislation just to create a fiscal stress 
uh, Joint Commission uh, a couple years ago. I'm hoping we will we'll dig in deeper on that. Where it, it we've we've looked at uh, how we can best help local governments that are that are under significant fiscal stress. And of course, some of the independent cities were the first to, to draw our attention: Petersburg and Bristol. Uh, but we also have counties that are fiscally uh, stressed, uh, and uh, and a number of other cities, particularly in rural areas and inner cities. And so tax policy, in my opinion, has to be addressed. It's something I've worked on for a long time, and it's it's something that's touchy uh, because people, you know, when you start making adjustments, uh, there tend to be uh, winners and losers, but the overall, you still have to address it through the funding formulas. Uh, Dean, I think we, we really have to get more serious about addressing composite index, uh, the standards of quality funding. Uh, one of the things that I suggested this past year, which uh, which you know didn't get really much traction in, in our discussions because people were anxious just to return the money directly to the taxpayers. But I suggested that that uh, it, it would help a long way, particularly since we were putting in place significant salary increases for the teachers. Would be for us to, to basically increase state share of, of the uh, standards of quality funding, which theoretically right now is about fifty five percent. But if if you were to push it on up to sixty percent and apportion it uh, appropriately around the state, uh, that I think that could go a long way uh, toward addressing, uh, at least in a modest way, some some of the, 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 the fiscal stress. Um, we are one of the things that... Senator, can I jump in just a minute before we get too far down the road? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned... Uh, you mentioned stress on local government, and I know that we have had a lot of great discussions in the past about the stresses and the impacts on local government, especially counties, on ways mm-hmm. that the state could help, whether by shouldering more of the cost of shared programs or by giving counties more options for raising revenues. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And what is, your, what is your thinking on how the state-local partnership can be improved uh, just looking at, uh, at maybe the relationship and the shared taxing authority or you know, the, the, the equalized taxing authority? I think equalized taxing authority is something you and I certainly have discussed in the past, and I've, I've attempted to positions for that. They would be a, a good starter. Uh, I see no reason now why uh, counties shouldn't have uh, basically the same taxing authorities as as the cities and towns now enjoy uh and it's certainly my intention if i'm in richmond this next uh session to to put that on the table again and hopefully with with more success i think we're we're building some momentum now and we can look specifically at the tobacco tax which many will say will be a declining revenue source uh but uh right now it does produce significant revenues and uh the uh, i think it would be appropriate to extend that authority as well as some other authorities to counties, because they, you know, we're not, you know, we're, we're, we basically have statutes that were developed many, many years ago when um, cities and towns had mechanisms in place to provide services and were more sophisticated in their financial uh, controls than counties. So, you know, that, that that was part of the reasoning, I suppose. Now, your counties are, are just as sophisticated, are you know, are required to deliver essentially the same services, and uh, so there's really no reason that I that I'm aware of uh, that we shouldn't equalize those taxing authorities. Senator, uh, 
let me kind of change gears here and and focus on another issue that I know that that you're that was very important to you, and that is transportation. Uh, mm-hmm. You came to our transportation Vaco's transportation steering committee last November uh, regarding Interstate 81 and the overall transportation funding picture. What's your reaction to the legislation that was passed in 2019 to address the infrastructure needs of this interstate corridor as well as as well as others in the state? And and does more need to be done? Is there enough money out there? Uh, Dean, there's not enough money out there, and, and actually, I was I was uh, I had mixed feelings about what was accomplished during the, the reconvene session. One, it didn't go through a, a, an appropriate process to be vetted. But, but also, you know, really, when you when you look at what we did, and, and I don't want to take away from it because you know it, it is a step in the right direction in terms of putting some additional revenues out there. Uh, but it, really, we're going to have to address the adequacy or rather the inadequacy of the revenue flow to our state infrastructure system we're we're you know in virginia uh, overall we're we're rated very high in, in terms of uh, our our government and in terms of our quality of life and the services we provide and we'd probably be right at the top of the heap nationally if it weren't for the fact that we're we're rated way low on infrastructure we just simply have not uh, had the political will uh, to put the resources into it. And, and, of course, as you're aware, that's something I've worked on for a long time. In fact, I tried to get movement like 15, 16, 17 years ago uh, for a, a funding package for Interstate 81. Now it's not just 81. We really, uh, rural Virginia uh, needs uh, some additional funding. Uh, the, the funding package that was put in place specifically for Interstate 81 um, overall, is fairly modest, and and it, it you know, but it you know it, it does allow some additional revenue. But the, I would I would suggest that we need to expand that statewide. Uh, we've had resistance um, at the the state level. In fact, that's caused not just in transportation, but overall some some issues between the state and local governments because we have all these people that have signed no tax pledges. And when you look at transportation and and the increasing fuel efficiency of vehicles. You know, we should have increased our, our fuel tax long ago in, in order to adequately fund our, our transportation grid, but we didn't do it. So, you know, we can't go back and, and correct that. But going forward, we, we just need to look critically at those uh, basically user fees that we historically have implemented for, for our infrastructure, and we need to make sure that they're adequate. Uh, so not just on a, any Interstate 81, but the local uh, farm-to-market roads, the uh, inter- interstate uh, 77, the proposed interstate uh, concurrent with uh, Route 220 uh, south of Roanoke, uh, the uh, piece of the Coalfields Expressway. Those are just some of the projects that come to mind, but we clearly, clearly do not have enough revenue flowing into the infrastructure that, that, that our citizens need right now. Uh, Senator, <clears throat> let me say, you know, we really appreciate your leadership, you know, in this whole issue. And uh, and Vaco at Vaco, we stand ready to work with you. You know, in the future on any kind of transportation issues, especially to make Interstate 81, 77, and 95 much safer, safer corridors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know, uh, kind of guess, kind of shifting gears again. Knowing mm-hmm. your district, your senatorial district, agriculture, land conservation, and farming are huge issues. Uh, and, and special interests of yours. Where do you see the future of agriculture in Virginia? And could you talk a little bit about the efforts underway to support farming in Virginia? 
Sure, I'm, I'm always um, pleased and excited to talk about agriculture because where I'm sitting right now is, is the heart of the agriculture uh, area of the state, and we have it's important to a statewide, uh, and, and as, as your members know, uh, statewide, that agriculture and forestry is, is the leading uh, economic uh, engine of the Commonwealth. Um, actually, things, you know, farming is, you know, up and down always in terms of the markets. Uh, so people that are in the dairy business right now would, would tell you, you know, that it's it's tough, you know, if, you know, to lose money on every gallon of milk you produce. But uh, hopefully that, you know, the, those prices will come around and, and they'll be able to, to work that out. But overall, the, the agriculture industry here in the valley and I think statewide is doing reasonably well. Uh, there, there is significant demand, obviously, for for the products. Farmers are are creative in in terms of sustaining their operations. And at the state level, we're doing some things to try to help. Obviously, one of the things that we're you know, we're struggling with, uh, uh, I shouldn't say struggling because we've actually been pretty successful, is in providing incentives uh, for farmers and farmers to basically adopt best management practices uh, so that we can clean up the streams all the tributaries flowing into Chesapeake Bay. And uh, in fact, uh, just this week, we're, we're, we are celebrating Chesapeake Awareness Week. And um, I, I'm really pleased with the, the, the ag community and the way they bought into the voluntary practices uh, that, that uh, have been in place and that they are, are being put in place. Things like uh, fencing cattle out of streams, providing alternative uh, water sources, uh, cover crops in the winter, rotation, all, all the types of things that you can do to reduce nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment from, from getting into the waters. Uh, and so this past year in the budget, and we talked about previously, we were able to put a significant amount, one of the largest amounts that we've had, uh, into incentive programs for best management uh, for, the, for the farmers. And so uh, really, you know, I, I serve on the Chesapeake Bay Commission, uh, which is Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, as well as the other uh, store states that are that are uh, at least a part of it, and uh, you know we we actually are ahead of our goals for 2025 with the, with the ag uh, industry, and uh, you know we've got a kind of a, a steep uh, hill to climb over the next uh, five or six years, uh, but there is that commitment. So one of the things that I'll be doing this year is just continuing to. Uh, uh, tried to get funding in place uh, to support the ag industry uh, and and resisting uh, you know the bureaucratic quagmire that might come about if we put uh, regulations in place to force operators to do things because we're having great success with voluntary cooperative measures uh, the um, ag community uh, that that I live with then is very conservation oriented so um, I would say, you know, we, that's one of the important things for us to do is to continue to support the ag industry. Thank you. Another major issue for the rural areas is broadband service in unserved mm-hmm. and underserved areas of, of Virginia. <laughs> and the General Assembly made a significant investment in the Virginia Telecommunications Initiative this year, which we are very grateful for. What approaches to this issue do you think are particularly promising in the upcoming year? The... Uh, well, that, that's something that I, I, I spent quite a bit of time on this past year. I, uh, as you're aware, I, I serve as chair of the Center for Rural Virginia, and broadband deployment uh, is was one of our major goals. The um, 
administration is, is also put that up, up on the front burner. Uh, the first year of, of the, the biennial budget, which we talked about previously, we put $4 million in for grants back to local governments for public-private partnerships. Um, and we had much more demand for that $4 million uh, than there were dollars to go around. So this past year, one of the, the positive things that we did, I felt, was we added an additional $15 million in the second year. So that pushed it on up to $19 million. Uh, now, that's not going to cure everything, but that's that will allow us to work in cooperatively uh, with local governments to get some more grants out in place to, to foster some public-private partnerships and to look at all the technologies that are available uh, to, to get uh, you know quicker and, and more efficient broadband deployment. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough one to work with, obviously, because we also, these grants and the monies that we're putting up are, are supposed to foster um, partnerships as opposed to supplanting the efforts of the entrepreneurs that are already out there uh, trying to deploy. So it, we, we also had some legislation this past year that will help with that. The electric the cooperatives, I think, will be a big part of the overall solution as we go forward. But I'm, I've been encouraged that we are, rather than just waiting for technology to do whatever technology will do, that we're, we're being aggressive and, uh, and pushing forward. Uh, Senator, we thank you for your leadership in that, and thanks for working with us on that. You know, that's been one of the top priorities of ACO, at least for the last couple of years. So, uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, uh, just a, just a huge issue, huge issue. Uh, well, Senator, uh, thank you for spending time with us today. I know that uh, that this is taking you out of your busy schedule and getting around your district and meeting with the folks out there. But uh, but we do appreciate you you being on the. County Pulse podcast with us and sharing your thoughts uh, to all of our Virginia counties. Well, Dean, I thank you so much. I, you know, I always enjoy working uh, with, with VACO and your members around the state. Uh, we're sometimes parochial in our interest, but uh, my interests now, obviously, with the responsibilities I have in Richmond, are much broader than that. So I look forward to working uh, with your members uh, all, all over the state as we work on improving the quality of life and and really stabilizing our finances so we can jointly share in, in providing services. Uh, and uh, there are a number of areas, of course, the time didn't allow us to, to uh, get to this morning, but one of the one of the things that I hope to be reaching out to your members on is how we can best restructure our community service boards, which uh, are a significant issue uh, for your members in, in funding and providing services. And also the Children's Services Act, which, which sometimes unfairly wax the local government budgets uh, when you have very little control over its growth. So, Dean, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Senator.